right. How's everybody doing this morning? Okay. All right. How many of our young people are, are, are back fresh off of a ski trip yesterday, hitting the slopes, which means you're tired, which means I will call you out if you sleep while I preach. All right. No snoring. All right, please. All right. So uh, good stuff. Good stuff. Um, well, hey, thanks for coming to church today. I, I was telling my, my wife and I was talking with Brian a little bit earlier. I said, I wonder if people will come to church or if they'll be at the grocery store getting ready for the snowstorm. Um, looks like we might have a real one here. This, this So I know some of you are booing, but in my house, we, we like snow, we enjoy it. So although I'm, I am a little tired of snow days, I'd like to send my kid to school and let her go. But uh, but it's but it's OK. It's all right. We'll take it. So yeah, it could be a big one. I do want to let you know, just because of that, I've been looking at the weather reports this morning, and, and I know it's impossible to get forecasts 100% accurate, but there's already, there was already some icing on the parking lot where stuff is, water's running or whatever, and, and it looks like about the time we would be doing our life track classes tonight, it could be sleeting and doing some nasty stuff, and, and so we would just prefer that people stay safe and not be a part of that, and, uh, and so stay in your house, don't drive when it's sleeting. Um, if you come to the life track building, you will be alone. All right. Cause we're not doing it. All right. So, so we're going to go ahead and just call it now. I know that we could be totally wrong and it could do nothing and it would be fine, but we'd rather err on the side of safety. Um, and, uh, and, and, uh, not have anyone out driving on streets that could be slick. So no church one oh one tonight won't happen. Everybody say, Oh, okay. That's sad. Okay, good. All right. So, and and Alex says no youth group as either. Um, not not because the weather, because he had youth group with you all day yesterday, and he's had enough. All right, so <laughs> it's like I don't need to spend any more time with you. All right. So, <laughs> so um, hey, last week made a big appeal to you. Get involved in a small group if you haven't yet. Um, I know that. Uh, uh, the two that we were trying to make sure some people turned up to, we had people out this week, so that's good. But uh, if you haven't had a chance, hop on TrueLife.tv. There is a group for you, I promise. Tons of groups meeting almost every day of the week now. And uh, I really enjoyed hanging out with the emerging leaders yesterday morning. We actually talked about some of what we're going to talk about today, uh, the life of David and, and a comparison between his life and Saul and uh, how they were both leaders and both chose uh, to take a different path and ultimately led to one guy's demise and it led to the other guy being known as a man after God's own heart. So get in a group. And then one other thing I want to ask you to do, um, and you might think this is a little bit odd or strange, but how many of you have seen the, uh, the trailers or the previews or the commercials for the Son of God movie? Anybody seen all that stuff? How many have went and seen the movie so far? Anybody went and seen it? Okay, not enough. All right. So, hey, I want to tell you like, like we should, okay? Um, and here's why. And I, I know that some people are like, well, it may not be 100% accurate biblically and blah, 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 blah. But so are 99% of the sermons that you hear in churches across America. Nobody's perfect. Nobody ever gets it 100% right. Amen? All right. So um, I think there's a great opportunity for believers to kind of help send a message to Hollywood that says, hey, if you will put stuff on the screen that's healthy and wholesome and good for my family, I will pay the money to go see it. In fact, I saw a report that came out this last week that statistics show that movies that are not wholesome for the family, the money they're making off of them is in decline, and stuff that's good for the family is is increasing. So, hey, come on, we're winning somewhere, everybody. That's a good thing. 
so go, go to the movie, man. Let's, uh, let's, let's go and, and be there. I want, we, we looked at trying to do a buyout so that we could just, we thought, wouldn't it be awesome if we could have church and then tell everybody to hang out and watch the, cause we're in a movie theater. But this theater was not able to be contracted to show the movie and it was just really expensive to go to People's Plaza or one of the others and buy it out. So, you, but you can go. You can go buy tickets, and and you should. You should go watch the movie. All right, so let's jump right into where we're going today. We shared a scripture with you last week. This is our theme scripture for this series, Running with the Giants. It comes out of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, and it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Everybody look at the person next to you. We're going to have a little church this morning for just a second. Look at the person next to you say, you're in a race. All right. Look at, yep. And then if you feel extra cocky, you can just tell them I'm faster than you. All right. It's up to you. So listen, the Bible says that our, our lives here on earth, our spiritual walk can be compared to a race. We're all running this race. And I don't know about you, but I want to finish well. I want to finish. I want to run the race with endurance. I want to cross the finish line and accomplish all that God has for me in my life. Come on, how many of you want that this morning? All right, that's what I want for my life. All right, so last week we talked about uh, this idea for this series that that uh, what if some of the giants of faith, some of the guys in the Bible who who won, who who lived a full life and and their lives became examples and stories to us of how we can live our lives. What if they could come down out of that cloud of witnesses and just run a lap with us in the race of life? What if they could just give us one line of encouragement? What would it be? And so last week we talked about Noah and how Noah might say that that one person can change a life. One person can change a life. And we talked about just the the power of and the impact that a, one person's life can have on another. In fact, I shared with you a story of of one of our young people who invited another and she came to our church and started serving Christ and talked about the life change that happened in her life. And, and I didn't share names because I didn't want to embarrass anybody, but are you all here today? Where's, I'm looking for, oh, Lace, so Lacey is working with your kids today. So not only does she invite her friends, but she serves your kids. And is Maddie back there too, or did she not make it? So they're both, look at that. They're, they're both back there serving your kids today. How awesome is that? Um, two, two young people, teenagers serving in the house. I love that. And, uh, and so we talked about how Noah, he said one, he would say that one person can change the world. So this week we're going to talk about David. And I hope, again, the goal is the same. I hope that this series helps you fall in love with the Bible, fall in love with God's Word a little bit more, and just encourages you. Let me, let me ask a question, show of hands, got to have participation. I love this. They put the subwoofers up here today, so if I get really excited... Yeah, is there a weight limit on the? I'll just balance between two at all times, just to be safe. All right. And so here's a question, and I want this is an audience participation question. All right, there shouldn't be anything embarrassing about this question for anybody. So I want you to to raise your hand if this is you. Let me just ask this: How many of us would like God to elevate or promote us in our lives? How many would like to be elevated or promoted by God in your life? Like you would like it if you had an unfair supernatural advantage. You know, that's what, what the Bible says about Noah. You can put them to, so that's pretty much everybody. If you didn't have your hand up, some, you should have had your hand up. All right. So you, you should have, unless, unless like you have a physical condition that makes it 
not possible for you to lift your hand, then I'm not making fun of you. But everyone else, I am. All right. So, so, talked about Noah finding favor. The Bible says he had favor with God. He had this supernatural um, advantage and anointing on his life. And it made it possible for him to change the world. And the Bible has a word that is often used to describe that favor that leads to promotion or God elevating us. And it's called being exalted. And here's what I want to say to you today. Did you know that God actually wants to be able to exalt you? He wants to not to, not to bring glory to your life, but to bring, bring glory to Him. He wants to elevate and promote you in such a way that it causes the world to go, something else must have been happening there. And it'll bring glory and attention back to Him. He actually wants to exalt you. Jesus said this in a parable that compared the hearts of two people. One who was self-righteous and the other who was humble. In fact, one of them was a religious leader and the other other one was a tax collector. And this 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 religious leader, and he says there's a religious leader and a tax collector that go into the temple and pray together. And the religious leader basically does this. He goes right up to the altar and he says, God, help me to never be like that sinner and points to the tax collector. But the tax collector stood back at a distance and hung his head and actually weeped and asked God to forgive him for living a messed up life. And then Jesus goes on to say this. Interesting in God's economy how things work different from what happens in our world. He says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. So what God is looking for in us is some people who get this principle and understand that, you know, I don't need to live my life looking for opportunities to elevate myself and exalt myself. If I will just give my life wholeheartedly to God, He's actually looking for opportunities to elevate my life and exalt me so that I can draw attention back to Him. Come on, wouldn't it be easier if God would do some of the heavy lifting for us? Some of the promotion. Some of the, in fact, I think God's doing that here in our church. I think God has given us some supernatural favor, not because of anything we're doing. In fact, if anything, it's because we realize how much of a miracle it is that this thing all works and happens every single week. Did you guys, you may have seen it on social media, you know, we had more people in service here last week than we've ever had in the history of the church here at True Life. Yeah, you could, you could shout for that. We had people give their hearts to Christ. And uh, it's, let me just, let me give you some, some stuff that will help us with that, all right? Because we're, we're in growth season. Even with a pending snowstorm, we have a good-sized crowd in here today. In fact, you might have broke the record again. I don't know. It, it looks good in here. <clears throat> there's, there's a few things that you can do. How many want to be a part of helping a church grow and, and have God's favor? And be, all right, so there's some really practical things that you can do to help us make this a good experience for every guest who comes on Sunday. Because this is going to continue to be a growth season right up to Easter, okay? We'll take a little hit, spring break weekend, but, but other than that, it's going to be a, a solid season of growth. It's, it's just what happens. It's what the trends all point to. So here's, there's three things that you can do, and I want you to just repeat these after me that'll help us create a great experience for every guest who comes into church and checks this out for the first time. And so here's the first one. Everybody say, come early. Come early. <laughs> so we're like, ah, tricked us. All right, so come on, say it again. Come early. Come early. Come early. All right, here's the second one that you can do, and I'll explain it to you in just a second. Park far. Everybody say park far. Park far. Park far. All right, so this is because we share a parking lot with several other businesses. Um, there's a whole bunch of rental cars out there that don't even 
belong to anyone on Sunday, but they get left in the parking lot because Enterprise is next door. Those take up spaces. We've got um, a yoga place that does several classes on Sunday mornings. People come. They take places. So if you're able-bodied and and not handicapped or you don't have a, a big family full of kids that it's a lot of work to get to the front door, you can help create a great experience for a guest by sacrificing that parking space that you love and going further away and getting a little exercise. Come on, everybody. A little exercise never hurt anybody. All right? You can park a little bit further. In fact, our whole life team, if you notice, they park the farthest. Everybody who's here the earliest and serving and doing all the work parks the farthest. Why? Because our team is committed to creating a great experience for every guest. And we want to do everything we can to move people towards Jesus. And if that means they have a smile on their face because they didn't have to walk that far, that matters. Every detail matters. Come on, somebody. It matters. All right, so come early. Park far. Here's the next one. Sit close. Come on, say it like you mean it. Sit close. All right, so come early, park far, sit close. Everybody look to the center of the room. Right now, look to the center. Look down your row at the center. Most of you have done a good job on this, but if you see empty seats over the coming weeks, it will help if you slide to the middle. That way, and when a guest comes in and they're looking... For a seat, they're coming down the aisle, they're, they're more visible, they're easier to see. We have some ushers who are trying to help, but you can help. Like I said, how many want to create a great experience for every person who might need Jesus? Come on. All right, so come early, park far, sit close. All right, remember that. Those are the things you can do to help us continue to be healthy and grow on Sunday mornings. All right, let's jump into this. Of all the giants of faith we could talk about, I think David understood this principle of God's authority and allowing him to exalt us as we humble ourselves, maybe better than anyone else in the Bible except for Jesus. And I think if David could come down out of the crowd and run a lap with us today, and this is the first line in your notes, you'll want to fill it in, that I think this is what he would say. He would say, you're exalted by God as you humble yourself under God's authority. You're exalted by God as you humble yourself under God's authority. Now, A message like the one I'm going to share with you today probably doesn't provide a lot lot of opportunity for shouting amen. Because it's going to be a little bit more of a teaching flow. And quite honestly, it's stuff that even when I think about it, I'm like, oh, really? I need to to get better at that, God. I need to keep working on this. I I need to keep reminding myself that I'm submitted to your authority, that it's not all about what I want. It's not all about what I want to get out of life for me. It's about what you want for me. It's about how you want to use me. You want to use my life to make heaven bigger and hell smaller. And God, whatever you ask me to do, I'm willing to do it. So a little background on David. You know, we know David did some great things. He did some things not so great, like, Bathsheba, hello. Uh, here's, the, here's the summary on Bathsheba. David is king. You know, I was thinking, like, what, what would David say to us? And obviously we went with this. You're exalted by God as you humble yourself under God's authority. But he, he could have said some real practical stuff like, don't watch your neighbor take a bath. Because that's what happened. David is out on the rooftop and he looks out and sees one of his key leaders in the army who's out at battle. His wife is home alone. And she comes out on her roof to take a bath like she didn't know David could see her. Come on now. Oh, king. It was a trap. 
David, David was the, David was the Bible's first pornography addict. He's, he's out there looking at the neighbor's wife taking a bath. Next thing we know, he invites her to the house. Next thing we know, they're having a baby. And David invites, he gets the, the commander of the army back, hoping that he'll hang out with the wife and he'll think it's his, but he refuses to come off the battlefield because he's so committed to his king. <laughs> so David sends him to the front of the battle line in the very worst area so that he can be sure he'll be killed and he can take Bathsheba as his own. Now this is the guy, <laughs> adulterer, pornographer, murderer, who at the end of it all gets labeled a man after God's own heart. If that doesn't give you some hope this morning, I don't know what else I can offer you. If God can end up using David, and here's why I think God ended up using David in such an incredible way, because throughout his life, even though there were sin and even though there were mistakes, he had this, this incredible understanding of God's authority and humbling himself before God and submitting to everything that God wanted for his life. Here's, here's a little background that, that makes David's life interesting. There's a guy by the name of Saul, King Saul, who's the king of Israel. Israel wanted a king like all of the other kingdoms. God says to them, no, you don't want a king. Let me be your king. If I give you a human king, he's going to mess it up. He's going to break your heart. But Israel insists, we want a king. So God anoints this guy Saul as king, and for a while he does okay, but then he becomes kind of prideful and arrogant. He struggles with insecurity, and he becomes disobedient to God in his pride and in his arrogance and in his insecurity. And so God sends a prophet named Samuel to King Saul and says, God has rejected you as king. He's lifted his anointing off of you. You no longer have his favor. Saul continues to operate as the king of Israel, and then privately God sends the prophet Samuel to David's house, where his father Jesse brings all the boys together in a room but leaves David out in the field. Because the prophet says, I'm here to anoint a new king. Nobody expects it to be David. The prophet finally has to say, isn't there another one somewhere? Because none of these guys are it. And so they go get David, they bring him in, and as a young boy, at probably 11, 12 years old, he gets anointed as the next king of Israel. Now, if that doesn't go to your head at that age, nothing will. I mean, like, I, like if somebody came to me at 11 years old and said, hey, Michael, you're going to be president of the United States, I'd be like, <laughs> y'all better listen. <laughs> listen to what I said. Do you know who I am? I'm kind of important. All right, so... But it did, it didn't go to David's head. Since Samuel the prophet, so then David gets into this relationship with the king, King Saul, and here's what's incredible throughout all of David's life. David never takes advantage of what he already knows to be truth. He, he serves a king who he knows has already lost God's anointing and it's been placed on him as if none of that has ever happened. Incredible humility that he serves with throughout his life. Potentially a pretty awkward situation. Let me say this about the authority of God and submission. This has been affecting your life since the very beginning of time. Remember, Jesus Christ showed up on the earth, and, and the Bible says that, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, and the Word was, and then the Word became flesh. Who was that? Jesus Christ. So God shows up in the flesh, 
We know that Jesus has existed since the beginning of time. He's a part of the Godhead, the Trinity, the Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he shows up on earth, and he has an earthly mom named Mary, and a heavenly father, God the Father. And if, I, I encourage you to like study this in the scripture. What you'll actually see is there's a co-parenting going on between an earthly mother and a heavenly father. Talk about a weird family dynamic. And there's this really interesting story, really innocent story. When Jesus is about 13 years old, his family goes to Jerusalem for a festival. And the caravan leaves to go home when the festival's over. And a little ways out of town, they realize Jesus isn't with the crowd. And so they, his family freaks out. They go back and they find him where? In the temple at 13 years old, teaching the word of God. And he, his mom finds him and says, she basically says, what? Jesus, what are you doing? Don't you ever, can you imagine that? You see Mary talking to God, don't you ever scare me like that again. That, I'm telling you, that happened. It had to have happened. Jesus responds very innocently, 13 years old, I must be about my father's business. So at 13 years old, Jesus is actually, he's thinking, I'm ready to start my ministry. He's, I'm ready to start the ministry. I'm in the temple teaching. And we don't know all of the conversation that happened, but clearly, mama said no. Mary told God no. And he, and he listened. Why? Because Jesus understood the commandment of honoring father and mother and obeying and listening. And he left the temple and he went home. And he doesn't show back up in the Bible in a ministry context for 17 years. 17 years. He's 30 years old. They're at a wedding and they run out of wine. Now, And this, this just proves that Mary knew who this was. She knew who he was. She knew Jesus was God. And in this context, they're out of wine. And Mary says, Jesus, they're out of wine. And he says, woman, what do you want me to do about it? That's what he said. It was, a, it was an idiom in the Hebrew language. He says, woman, what's that have to do with me? And, and she, just, she doesn't even respond to his, what he says. She just looks at the servants and says, do whatever he says. And his ministry is born on that. So at 13, Jesus is ready to start his ministry, but his mom says no. At 30, Jesus isn't. He's not in a hurry to start anything. Mom says yes, and he does it. Submission to God's authority, submission to earthly authority, has been happening since the beginning of time. And you know, you, you know, like they didn't even have to have a grocery budget in Jesus' house. I mean, if it was modern day, Today, Jesus would be with his, he's like 15 years old, kicking back on the Xbox with his friends after school. And his mom's like, uh, Jesus, I need you to run out to the store. We're out of milk. And he's like, no, we're not. <laughs> she knew. <laughs> she had to know. She knew. That's how she knew the water and the wine was going to happen. Never had to shop for groceries. Jesus. The neighbors ran over your brother's dog. He's dead. No, mom, he's good. So at age 30, he starts his ministry. All right, let me give you four truths on biblical authority, and then we're going to unpack David a little bit more. Because here's the point of all this. None of us, everybody say none of us. None of us are an exception to this principle. 
but few of us operate in it well. It's a challenge for all of us, including myself, all right? So here's four truths on on authority, and we're going to read a lot of scripture this morning. Here's the first one. Authority is God's idea. It's God's idea. But rebellion is Satan's idea. Authority is God's idea. Order is God's idea. Rebellion is Satan's idea. Romans 13, 1 to 7. Some some of us aren't going to enjoy the scripture. This is an uncomfortable scripture. This is Paul writing to the Romans, and he says, Everyone, you know what everyone means there? Yeah, everyone. All right. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And they'll be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they'll honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you're doing wrong, of course you should be afraid. For they have the power to punish you. They're God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. And I just, can I just say, and it just makes me sick in our culture, the way people talk about authority, the way people talk about like police officers and, and the amount of disrespect that goes on in our culture. The Bible says that's not the way we should act. That's not the way we should behave. Verse six, this one will make you amen. Pay your taxes too. Dang it. For these same reasons. For government workers need to be paid. They're serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. And can I just say, this is one of the reasons why we're very careful at True Life about how we talk about political leadership and political issues. Because if I could just say it this way, politics always tries to change things through behavior from the outside in. I believe with all my heart that we can change things at the heart level from the inside out. That's what the Bible teaches, that Jesus changes us from the heart and it works from the inside out. So why would I get on stage and rant and rave and complain about things that I don't even think will work anyway because they're, they're promoting change in the wrong way from the outside in? When what I could do is just focus on introducing people to Jesus and let the heart get transformed and we'll see change from the inside out. It's just not worth it to me. And I... I, I do, I kind of I get a little annoyed when I see people who love God, serve God, they're in church every Sunday, bashing political leaders. And, and listen, I disagree probably just as much as some of you sometimes, but I'm just telling you, we do not represent the kingdom of God well, and we do not represent Christ well when we bash our leadership. We do a disservice to the kingdom when we, when we handle things that way. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be able to state your point of view, but you can do it in a way that's healthy and that's not disrespectful and that's not dishonoring to those who've been elected and put in office. We can do it. Yeah, y'all don't want to amen that one. Some things about authority and rebellion. See, when we mess up in the area of authority, we can repent. But the guy who invented rebellion, Satan, he cannot. He doesn't have the option. I would encourage you on your own time. Go study Ezekiel chapter 14, Isaiah 28. These are biblical accounts of Satan. He was actually heaven's worship leader at one time. The Bible says that there were musical instruments built into his body. They're in you too, by the way. That's a whole other message. But there are musical instruments built into his body. He's heaven's worship leader. And we know that when he decided to rebel, it was about drawing attention. He wanted the glory and attention on himself. That's what he wanted. Look at me. Look how great I am. And he was able to get enough influence in heaven that a third of heaven's angels 
went with him when he rebelled. And they got kicked out of heaven. Come on, aren't you glad to know that even on the worst day, they're still outnumbered two to one? Come on, somebody. He only got a third. Just a smack down. He was heaven's worship leader. And with everything around him perfect, he rebels against God. And rebellion was his idea. We see it in 2 Thessalonians 2, 7-10. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who's holding it back steps out of the way. What is lawlessness? This is what we refer to in theology as the, the spirit of the Antichrist. You guys have probably heard end times, the Antichrist will show up. But what you may not know is that the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work on the, on the earth today. This is... Satan has this, this realm and this domain where he's allowed to try to influence culture and influence thoughts and get people to do life in a way that doesn't honor God and doesn't exalt God. And it's already happening. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. Come on. Jesus can kill somebody by breathing. Excuse me? Got something to say? I mean, that's, that's Jesus. He can do that. Destroy him by the splendor of his coming. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He'll use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. And that's one of the truths today that will save you is that we need to submit to God's authority. The spirit of the Antichrist is already at work. And we see it today in our culture. I'm super excited about this, by the way. The show 24 is coming back. I love that show. I do. Did you see the, have you seen the preview for it? I mean, it's so, it's all you need for a preview. It tells you all you need to know. It's just Jack Bauer with a gun going. And that's all you need to know about that show. Jack's going to mess somebody up. And as much as I love that show, and I think it's fun and entertaining to watch, do you know that the whole premise of that show revolves around the idea that the best guy on the show is the most rebellious one? The guy we celebrate the most is the one... You could tell him, hey, hey, Jack, do not go through that door. If you do, the world's going to end. Bombs are going to go off. It's, it's the end of everything. And you know what Jack's doing? He's going through the door. And he's going to mess somebody up on this. And so he's this, and it's this rebellious idea that no matter, I don't care what the rest of the world says, I don't care what authority says, I know the best way to solve the problem and I'm going to do it. And we, we enjoy watching that, it makes for great entertainment, but here's the problem, that way of thinking is, has seeped into our culture and we actually kind of, we exalt people who rebel in our culture today. Just, I mean, just watch the news. It's not, it's not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be salt and light. We defeat, here we, here's what we do. We defeat the spirit of a rebellion with the spirit of submission. We defeat the spirit of rebellion with the spirit of submission. Here's the second truth about authority. Rebellion is sin. It just is. It's sin. Look at that verse again, Romans 13, 2. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23 Remember I talked about King Saul who came before David. Saul is, he's disobeyed God here and he's making an excuse about it. And the prophet Samuel says this, what's more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. 
Rebellion, and this is an important scripture, I'm going to unpack it for you here, is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you've rejected the command of the Lord, He's rejected you as king. It wasn't even about the act that Saul did. It was about the condition of Saul's heart. Instead of waiting to do it God's way, he said, I'm just going to do it my way. And God said, no, you can't be king and do it that way. Here's what's important about that scripture. Rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. In this, this time period, when you see that word witchcraft, what we're actually referring to is a religion with no deity. Witchcraft, is the way it's used here in this scripture, is a religion where the deity actually becomes yourself. And witchcraft is all about manipulating people and things to get the desire or the result that you want. So God said, hey, instead of doing it my way, you manipulated the system. You manipulated people and you manipulated things to get what you want, Saul. And I can't work with somebody like that. And God is saying when you rebel, it's the same thing. You're manipulating people and things to get your own way. Some translations here when he talks about stubbornness, as bad as worshiping idols, use the word iniquity. And what that actually means is another word used um, for something that has been passed on from generation to generation. So, so God's actually saying, hey, th- there's, a, there's a pattern of stubbornness here. And he, he says it's the same as worshiping an idol because what he's actually saying is stubbornness, it actually becomes the worship of our own opinion. And can I just, like, this is an area God had to work on me because I used to think my opinion mattered. And guess what I found out? I can have one, and I still do have lots of them. But in comparison with God's opinion, it doesn't mean anything. It means nothing. And how dare I ever place my own opinion before God's instruction? Here's the, here's the issue with authority. It's easy to submit. When we agree. Come on. It's easy to do what your boss wants you to do. When you like what he's telling you to do. It's easy to submit. It's when we disagree. That the test begins. It's when we disagree that we have. To really think about. What am I going to. What does God want me to do here? Y'all are really quiet. It's easy to submit when we agree. The issue happens when there's disagreement. Here's the third truth about authority. Understanding and accepting this principle will lead to spiritual maturity. Understanding and accepting this principle leads to spiritual maturity. There's a really cool story in Matthew chapter 8, verse 5 to 10. It says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. So Jesus is ready to go with this guy to his, to his home to heal the servant. Check this out. But the officer said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need say go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, and by the way, there's a bunch of religious leaders in the crowd here too, so he's kind of poking at them. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all 
of Israel. So he said, here's this guy, hasn't been following him, not a part of the church, not a part of the movement, but has a desperate situation, shows up, but understands the principle of authority. He says, hey, I'm a soldier. And I understand that when a superior officer gives a command, the expectation is that whatever the command is, is going to be carried out without anybody having to follow around. And, and so this is kind of the, my paraphrase of it. He sees Jesus and he recognizes the spiritual authority. And he kind of, I think he's thinking, hey, I may not be able to see it, but when this guy talks and give a, gives a command in the spirit realm that I can't see it, somebody or something goes and carries out what he says because there's authority. And when we understand that principle, that when we submit to the authority of God and we follow his commands, we unlock the possibility for God to do supernatural things in our lives by just having that enough maturity to stand back and go, I don't get it, I don't understand it, may not even be the decision I would make if it were left up to me, but Jesus, if you said it, I'm going to follow it. It leads to spiritual maturity. When you understand the Bible is a book of authority and God works through the principle of authority, it can catapult you into a place of spiritual maturity. Come on, how many want to be mature? You want to be mature followers of Christ. Nobody wants to stay immature forever. Here's the fourth truth. Submission brings favor and blessing from God. Submission brings favor and blessing from God. Everybody said, I want, remember, let's go back to that question at the beginning now, because this hasn't been that fun. These four truths haven't been that fun, but let's, let's just remind ourselves, how many want God to elevate and promote our lives? This is the key guys. This is the key. And this is what David understood. That as we humble ourselves, we create an opportunity for God to lift us up. You can't, listen, this is an important truth that you need to understand this morning. You cannot make God love you any more than he already does. And you cannot make God love you any less than he already does. His love for you is unchanging. Just like the, I love that song. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But, you can disqualify yourself from God's blessing. Let me say it to you this way. I reward my kids when they meet the expect. We have parameters in our house. The other day I was getting ready to come teach a, a life track class. It was the 401 Sunday. I was coming to hang out with all the people. And uh, my daughter, she really wanted to go. And, and my wife was going to come. But our, our, our son, his nap schedule got kind of crazy that day. And so I said, you know what, I'll, I'll just go. You guys stay here. And my daughter, got, she kind of got disappointed. She was looking forward to being there and seeing some of her friends. But there's no way I would have gotten her home in time to get to bed for school the next day. And, and so I just, I didn't make an appeal to her behavior. I tried to make an appeal to her heart because she was starting to get kind of fired up. And I said, okay, listen, you have school tomorrow. You understand that, right? And we want school to be a good day for you. And you know, mommy's going to have her hands full with your little brother. Here's the deal. You stay here. You be the best helper to her that you possibly can be. Because she needs it. She needs your help. And if you do it, I'll go buy you something this week. <laughs> She's like, okay, I'm in. We did. We went and bought a hula hoop. You should, it's hilarious. She has no idea. What, she's like, Why would it work, daddy? Well, Got to practice. But you see, I set parameters. Because I, I came home and I asked, how was Sarah? She was great. She did everything I asked. She did everything that she was. She was a big help. I said, Sarah, good job. We're going to go buy something. We're going to go do. And so, listen, God in his word lays out parameters for us. And he says, 
Hey, if, if, you'll, if you'll submit to authority, I can bless you. If you're generous, I can bless you. If you serve those in need, I can bless you. And the more in alignment you get with my word and my will and my principles and my precepts, the more opportunity there is for me to pour out blessing on your life. It's not, listen, I didn't come home and say, Sarah, you did a good job with mommy. I love you more now. No, my love for her is, I couldn't love her any more or any less than I do right now. And God's love for us is the same. He couldn't love us any more or any less than he already does. But we can disqualify ourselves from blessing. And that's why submitting is, submission is so important. I know it's not a fun word to hear. But it's such an important principle for our lives. Look at Ephesians 6, 1 and 3. Children, obey your parents. And all the parents said, (laughs) I set y'all up. What was that? Come on, parents. You said, maybe we just don't have enough parents here. Obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. It's the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you. And you'll have a long life on the earth. Listen, after age 18, I moved out of the house. I didn't have to submit the way I had to before that to my parents. But I still am under the command of God to honor. That's why my mom, who lives by herself now, after my stepdad passed away, is a thousand miles away. She gets a phone call every single day. Every day from me. How you doing? Good day today? Bad day. Why? It's not because I'm really worried about her. My mom's a strong lady. She'll do fine on her own. It's because it's my way of saying, Mom, I honor you. I care about you. If, there's anything, if, you need, if you needed me to get on a plane and help, I would do it. You, you matter to me. You raised me. And, and there's, so there's an exchange of honor going on. Do you get that? Because I think a lot of times, man, we think, I can't wait to get out of here. Turn 18, I'm gone. And we forget to honor. And honor is so important. Authority stems from the home. When it's honored, it actually protects our society. If you allow your kids to rebel, parents, can I just tell you this? If you allow your kids to rebel, you're not becoming a better friend to them. You are cursing them. You're cursing them. And they're going to live their life under a curse because you are more worried about being their friend than making them submit to authority. So don't do it. Don't do it. All right, here's four tests that David passed. I'm going to go really quick through these. And these are the tests that I hope you can pass in your life. This is why God, even though he made some pretty big mistakes, he ended up becoming a man after God's own heart. He understood the principle of submitting to his authority. Here's the first one. It's the arrogance test. The arrogance test. First Samuel seventeen thirty-two. it says, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Who's him? Goliath. David's a kid. He shows up to bring his brother some food at the battlefield. And this giant Goliath is standing out there taunting the Israelite army and blaspheming God. By the way, leadership principle here, you know who should have walked out there and and beat down the giant? Should have been Saul. Should have been the king. But he, he was scared and he was hiding. So David shows up. Now remember, David has already been anointed the future king and he knows it. And so he goes into the king who's still acting as king, and he says, let no man's heart fail because of him, because of this giant. Your servant. Did you catch that? Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you're but a a youth. And he has been a man 
of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, here it is again. Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. David's kind of tough. Verse 36, your has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he's defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Now, David passed the arrogance test right here. Because I think the temptation would be to walk into King Saul and say, hey, no wonder you're not anointed king anymore. You should be out there fighting, dude. I've been anointed. I got this, Saul. I'll handle it, dude. I'll take care of it. The future king is in the house. I'll be right back, Saul. Keep the crown shiny. No, he's, what's he do? He shows him, he says, your servant. Hey, you're ser- I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve. Let me just say this to you. You may be the next thing, but until you're the thing, you better be careful. Because God's principle of authority and submission never stops playing out in our lives. Authority exists to keep us humble. When we see a celebrity getting into legal trouble, I just, like my heart breaks for, I'm I'm watching, I don't usually talk about celebrities by name, but I'm watching all this stuff, Justin Bieber. (laughs) And all the believers are going to cry right now. And he's getting in trouble. He's, he's going to go into courtrooms and he's being arrested. And he, here, you know what I, here's what's happening. You know that, that system that's playing out is trying to save his life. Judges and police officers, prosecutors, what they're really trying to do is send a message. Hey, you, you may sing well and make a lot of money, but you're not more important than anybody else. You still have to submit. You have to submit. It's an important lesson for us to learn. Here's the second test. It's the abuse test. The abuse test. What happens to us when the people we serve under, when our leadership is abusive? First Samuel 19, we see a story where Saul becomes abusive towards David and actually, in a rage of anger, grabs a spear and throws it at David and tries to kill him. He escapes. The Bible says he escapes and stays away. Now, how many know, if you throw, you throw some at me and miss, it's coming back your direction. You know, we are, David's, he's killed a giant, he kills bears, he kills lions. King Saul, he could have handled King Saul anytime he wanted. Anytime he wanted. And when King Saul becomes abusive and tries to kill him, the Bible says that David slips away and hides and runs away. And, and, and so, here's the thing about abusive authority. God doesn't want you to stay under it, but he doesn't necessarily want you to retaliate against it either. So we've got to be, follow the pattern that David did. He found a way to still honor the authority, and, and he, but he got out of there. God doesn't expect you to stay in a, an abusive situation. He escapes and stays away. 1 Peter 2.19, For God is pleased with you when you do what you know is right and patiently endure unfair treatment. Anybody ever been unfairly treated? I guess, okay, I was going to say, I'm the only one. That's amazing. Let me just speak to those of you who maybe have been in a scenario with spousal abuse. Or maybe you're there right now. Maybe it's not a spouse, maybe it's a boyfriend or girlfriend. Or someone else in your life. 
But let me just say this to you. Don't you even put up with the threat of abuse. If you're married and your spouse threatens to abuse you, you don't even put up with the abuse. Should I go divorce them? No, that's not what I'm saying. The world sees that there's marriage and divorce. Those are the two options. If we follow the biblical path, there's marriage, there's constructive separation, and then there's divorce. And there are times when divorce is the right thing. Abuse, adultery, abandonment. Those are the three things that Scripture lays out for us as as the time when we should consider walking away. But can I just tell you, I'll just use a lady as an example, because that statistically that's where abuse happens. There are women who abuse men as well, but statistically more ladies endure abuse than men. Can I just say to you, if you're in a situation where a man threatens you or has abused you, don't you put up with it for a second. The first time you're a victim, the second time you're a volunteer. So you get out of there. And you say, you you can even say, you say, hey, listen, I love you. I care about you. And I want our marriage to work because I know God wants our marriage to work but I'm not going to live under the same roof as you while it's like this. I'm not going to give you the benefits of being married. Which means I'm not going to bed with you. You're not going to get any of that. I'm going to find somewhere else to stay. And you're going to go get help. And if you do, we'll work on it together and we can work this out. But if you don't, I'm never coming back. You just don't even... Listen, ladies, you just don't... Men too. It's getting crazy nowadays. I'm a little scared of my wife sometimes. I mean, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm playing. She can jump kick, man. It's, it's not fair. Constructive separation. I love you. I'm committed to marriage. But I'm not going to live with you or sleep with you until you get help. Abuse, abandonment, adultery. So there's the abuse test. Here's the third test. It's called the advantage test. What happens when you have an advantage over authority? And by the way, you always will you will always have an advantage over the authority that you're under. Always. Forever, for the rest of your life. You serve someone, you work for someone, you get under someone, you'll be able to find the cracks in their armor, you'll be able to find their flaws, and you have a choice to make about how you're going to use that information. Because what God wants us to do is come alongside our leaders and help fill in. You know why you're able to see the the cracks and the flaws? Because God might want to use you to help sure that area up and bring some strength. I can give you an example here in our organization, our church. Like, the thing that stressed me out the most about this job was planning for the financial future of the church and managing finances the right way. It's just, I'm not gifted in that area. And it would stress me out. And, and since we've had a guy, Jeff Brownlee, who's one of our trustees and now is our accounting director, has come alongside. And can I just tell you, like, I sleep so much better now? And there's more money in the bank. It's crazy. It's almost like stewardship matters to God. I can't figure it out. But you know, he, he could have, he really had an opportunity because he came in, got to see the history, how we were spending, how we were managing money. And he had an, op- there really was, there was an opportunity. He could have exposed that as a flaw. I mean, I already knew it was a flaw, but he could have used that information any way he wanted to try to gain authority and to usurp or, Whatever, but what he did is, I'm just—he he said it to me a million times. Every time I see something, it just reminds me that I'm in the right place, that God designed me to do this. I'm like, yes, it's awesome, it's powerful. 
you'll always have an advantage over authority. One time Saul walks into a cave not knowing David is hiding there. And David actually sneaks up on him, cuts off part of his clothes, and waits for Saul to leave the cave. Then lets him know from a... He waits till Saul's far enough out of the cave, and he walks out of the cave, and he holds up the clothing. He says, hey, could have killed you, but I'm submitted. Could have killed you, king. Had the chance. You didn't even know I was there. But I'm submitted to authority. 1 Samuel 26, 7-11. David and Abishai went right into Saul's camp after that. Found him asleep. Saul and his guys, they're sleeping. With his spear stuck in the ground. Next to his head. Abner and his soldiers are they're lying asleep around him. God has surely handed your enemy over to you at this time. Abishai whispered to David. Let me... I mean, you see this conversation. David and his right-hand man. Hey. Kill him. This will be over. It's what he says. God has surely handed your enemy over to you this time, Abishai whispered. Let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't need to strike him twice. David, no. Don't kill him. For who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed one? Surely the Lord will strike Saul down someday. Or he'll die of old age or in battle. Lord forbid that I should kill the one he's anointed. But take his spear and that jug of water beside his head and let's get out of here. In other words, let's let him know we were here. And we didn't take advantage of the opportunity. See, God gives you the advantage to serve your authority, not to undermine them. And here's the last test. Uh, Alex, if you'll come on up. Second Samuel chapter 1, verse 13. This is the association test. This is about the people we hang around with. You know, Saul actually died. King Saul actually died because he committed suicide. He asked his armor bearer to do it. He's scared to do it, so Saul falls on his own sword and kills himself. There's a young guy who thinks, I can take advantage of this. I'm going to go tell the, the, the future king, David, that I was the one who killed his biggest enemy. And we see it in 2 Samuel 1, 13. David said to the young man who had brought the news, Where are you from? And he replied, I'm a foreigner, an Amalekite who lives in your land. David says, Remember, this guy has claimed that he killed Saul. Why are you not afraid to kill the Lord's anointed one? You know, at that point, the guy's like, David asked. And David said to one of his men, Kill him. So the man thrust his sword into the Amalekite and killed him. And while he's, di- while he's dying, David says, you condemned yourself. For you yourself confessed that you killed the Lord's anointed one. See, David was not interested in associating with a king killer. Some of us in our lives, maybe we kind of get this principle of submission and, and God's authority, but we're allowing ourselves to associate with a circle of friends that enjoy the rebellious side a little bit more. Can I tell you that the association test is important? Because like, like Jeannie Mayo said years ago, I love this quote. She says, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Can you pass in your workplace? Are you passing the association test? When, I'm not saying you don't have to be friends with people there, but when everybody's gathered in a crowd in the break room or the hallway and they're slamming the boss and talking about everything that's wrong and messed up, are you hanging around for that conversation or are you finding something else to do? 
Because as wrong as that boss might be, can I just tell you, God is not going to honor that behavior. It's not going to honor it. You're removing yourself from the place where God could bless your life. The day you begin a relationship with Jesus, what you're really doing is you're submitting all the authority to Him. And you're putting Jesus Christ on the throne of your heart. And with every head bowed, every eye closed right now, would you just, all across the room, close your eyes. And I just want to ask one simple question. Is Jesus Christ sitting on the throne of your heart? Is He the King of your life? And if He's not, you can make Him the King today. You can choose to submit and invite Jesus Christ into your life. I know it's a hard message. Maybe not the easiest way to get introduced to Jesus. But it's important. What better way than to start off from day one understanding that you're submitting your life to the Lord of all the universe. And if that's you today, you say, Michael, I don't, I don't have a relationship with Jesus and I've never made Him the King of my heart. He's not sitting on the throne of my heart. But I want to get that right. I want to get it figured out. Today's the day. Would you just hold your hand up quickly? Just hold it up. Today's the day I want to make Jesus the King of my heart. Anyone else? Quickly, just slip it up. See it. Anyone else? I see it. Awesome. Good job. I see it. Good job. I want to make Jesus the King of my heart. Awesome. We're going to lead you in a prayer. Our whole church is going to say this prayer with you. I'm going to ask you to do one thing. Listen to this very carefully. If you raised your hand and you're praying this prayer for the first time, when we're done, grab the connection card in the cup holder next to you. Give us your name and your information so we can just send an email out to you that gives you some next steps to take in your walk with Christ. That's all we want to do. Not going to pester you or bother you. Just want to send you some instruction that will help you. And you can drop that card in the offering buckets that that are going to go by here in just a couple of minutes, okay? Let's just repeat this prayer. Say, Dear Jesus, I need you in my life. Forgive me for not having you on the throne of my heart. I submit to you as the Lord and Savior of my life from this day on. Forgive me my sins, all my mistakes. Make me new. Change me. My life belongs to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, church. Heaven is bigger this morning. Some of us today, we have Christ in our heart. But we haven't been doing a good job of living life submitted to His authority. Maybe you're not even doing a good job of submitting to your earthly authority. And so, you're living life. Remember, the the question was, who wants God to elevate and promote them? Well, it's conditional, guys. And you may have Jesus Christ in your heart. You may be have received Him as Lord and Savior, but this principle of submission and authority has not been playing out in your life. So I'm just going to, I just want to encourage you, let's, let's make today the, the turning point. Come on. We can make, the, make a choice once and manage it the rest of your life. Now, that's the issue that we have with decisions sometimes, is we make the decision, then we unmake it, and then we make it again, and then we unmake it. So my challenge to you today in this area of submission and authority is, let's make a decision one time, and then manage it for the rest of our lives. Maybe we can end up like David and be people who God says, that, that young man, that young woman, that man, that woman is after my own heart. They get it. They get it.
They understand the principle of submission and authority. Our ushers are going to come. I'm going to give you an opportunity to give this morning. Worship God through giving. If, if this is your first time here and, and you're checking us out today, you're a guest, we don't want you to feel any pressure at all to give. But you can if you want to. If you need to fill out an envelope, go ahead and do that right now. Get it ready. And, and before the ushers go, I just want to kind of say a closing prayer over all of us in this area of authority and submission. You know who you are if you're struggling in this area. We don't, I'm not going to make you raise your hand or anything like that. Maybe I should. Maybe that'd be, that'd be a good submission test, right? <laughs> Can you follow my instructions? I'm not going to do that to you. Just want to, just want to pray. Come on, let's be a church that's a, that's a people after God's own heart. Amen? All right. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. God, I know this, this is one of those areas that's it's not even fun to talk about necessarily, and it's certainly challenging to apply and implement in our lives. God, but it matters to you. It matters to you. And I believe it was the understanding of this principle that made David become a man that was known as a man after your own heart. And God, that's what we want to be. We want to be people who are chasing after your heart, chasing after your will, chasing after your plan for our lives. And so, God, I pray anything in us, any, any pride, any arrogance, God, if we're, if we're abusing the advantage, if we're, if we're not handling any abuse that we're receiving the right way, God, if there's any arrogance going on, God, if we're associating with the wrong group of people in our lives and it's influencing how we handle authority and submission, God, would you... Just convict our hearts this morning. Would you lead us on a path to get those things straightened out and cleaned up? God, we want to represent you well. We want to represent your kingdom well. And God, we want to position ourselves for your blessing. We understand that our choices can have consequences in terms of the blessing that you pour out on our lives. And God, we want to receive everything that you have for us. We don't want to miss out on anything. So God, do your work in the hearts of people today. Speak to us. Convict us and lead us. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.